is Michael Easley in context. For more information, go to michaelincontext.com. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. Well, I want to welcome you to today's broadcast again with Johnny Erickson Tata. A sheer privilege to to know Johnny, to call her my friend, and to have her on in context. Johnny's story, if you have not heard it, this is the second part of our interview with Johnny, is quite remarkable. A 17-year-old, very athletic young woman dove off a pier in a lake and as a result became a quadriplegic. Through a number of years of rehabilitation and learning how to live a life now as a teenage girl, as a quadriplegic, is uh, a Herculean feat for anyone. Uh, Now in her 47th year in a wheelchair, she is being used by God in incredible ways, helping people around the world with disabilities, from wheelchair distribution to camps for families that have a profoundly disabled individual in their home, and she continues to travel nonstop, to speak nonstop, as well as her radio broadcast ministry. So today we pick up the program where we left off last time and we were talking about the controversy surrounding a song from the movie Alone Yet Not Alone written by Bruce Broughton and Dennis Spiegel. Johnny was asked to record this and it's no small task for a quadriplegic to be able to sing because of the diaphragm control and being confined to a wheelchair and the respiration issues. So Ken helped her uh, physically to uh, produce the song that you've been listening to. Let's pick up the second part of the interview where Johnny talks about the controversy about the song and how it was nominated for an Oscar and how the nomination was then rescinded. A soothing presence by my side Alone, yet not alone You know, Johnny, it's interesting because some, some perhaps saw that in the news and followed a little bit of the controversy. I just thought it was remarkable. And who knows, in God's economy, do you think it got more attention because of the way it was treated than or not? I mean, how, how do we, I know, I know we can't gauge that, but it's intriguing to me. Let's put it that way. What do you think? I think so. I think that controversy stirred a lot of interest, not only in the Christian community, but I was amazed at the numbers of people in the entertainment industry in Hollywood Uh, Rolling Stone magazine and Billboard magazine, even the Hollywood Reporter um, commented how how uh, how what a good song they felt it was and how they felt that um, perhaps the Academy succumbed uh, to too much pressure uh, in rescinding the nomination. But but a lot of a lot of people certainly did listen to it. And in a way, I was saved, Michael, from having to sing the song in front of a billion people wow. on, the Academy, yeah. on the Academy Awards. Oh, my goodness. I don't, know, yeah. don't know if I could have done that. I would have said, Amy Grant, you step in here. You can do this. I don't know that I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought it was fabulous. And uh, I thought it was just a delight to, to watch you do it and to know who you are a little bit behind the scenes. It gave it all that much more power to Cindy and me. Johnny and I talked about a lot of things in this interview. We had too much fun. But if you have not had an opportunity to hear that song, I want to direct you to the web. You can just simply search Alone Yet Not Alone with the word Johnny, and you'll find the YouTube video as well as the official movie website, and you can listen to the song in its entirety, which I would encourage you to do. I know you'll enjoy the entire song. The second stanza was meaningful to me. 
I will not be bent in fear. He's the refuge I know is near. In his strength I find my own, by his faithful mercies shown, so that mighty is his shield, all his love is now revealed. Too often in the Christian life we think if we live right, do the right things, we try to obey God, we try to be, quote, good Christians, that our life should work out, that it should be easy, that we should be blessed. And while there are some remnants of truth in that, the reality is we're all going to suffer. As a pastor for over 30 years, I could tell you stories all afternoon, as you could tell me stories about people we know who have been through extraordinary amounts of conflict, suffering, and affliction. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, verses 3 through 7, that I often will send uh, in a card or a letter to someone who's going through some incredible difficulties, where Paul uses this back-and-forth text, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Listen to this. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Who says things like this? Paul is saying the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Listen. So also our comfort is abundant through Christ. I encourage you to look at that passage on your own. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. And Johnny and I continued talking about what it's like to live as a suffering believer. Johnny, you and I talk about what it means to bear our cross daily, pick up our cross and bear it daily, living with suffering. The passage that I read out of 2 Corinthians, obviously you've thought about this for 47 years now. So how does Johnny get up and do it? How, what's your perspective on it? Well, I'm never surprised by suffering. Uh, Even the Bible tells us, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeals. But constantly, it seems that we are surprised. I think we Christians tend to live in life's joys, dreading the coming sorrows. That's the way our culture has skewed our thinking. But the Bible says the Christian should be living in the midst of life's sorrows and tasting the coming joy. Too often, I think we as believers would love to erase the word suffering out of the dictionary. We, 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 we want to give it ibuprofen. We want to medicate it, drug it, escape it. Um, we want to shove it aside. We want to divorce it, institutionalize it, surgically exorcise it, clone it, kill it, do everything but live with it. We just don't know how to live with suffering. And actually, Michael, to be quite honest... We don't know how to live with suffering apart from Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I know you don't, and I know I don't. I know that the times when I sense the most powerful, sweet, poignant, tender intimacy of the Lord Jesus is when I go to him and say, I can't, I cannot do this. Mm -hmm. And indeed, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. So I think sometimes we forget that, we we, 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 we tend to look back on that time when we first came to Christ and we say to God, you know, I've been a Christian a while and uh, I've kind of got the ropes. I kind of know the lay of the land. So, Lord, I'm going to start my day here and I promise I won't do anything stupid to stain your reputation. 
I'm not going to do anything untoward which will smear or sully your good name. But, you know, I'll keep my nose clean. I, I got the lay of the lay. I can do this. So let me handle it from here, God. Mm. And we just go out into the day living life under our own steam. We don't live with an utter reliance on the Lord Jesus, but it is suffering which pushes us to that point of help. I cannot do this. Mm. And causes us to lean hard on the grace of God. Suffering is a mystery, and I can't explain it, but I do know that it is not a mystery without direction. And the direction the Bible gives us is to constantly look at Jesus, look to Jesus, lean on Jesus. He wrote the book on suffering, and oh my goodness, when they hang you on a cross like meat on a hook, you you ought to have the last word on suffering. Mm. He's the go-to person. He's the one we cleave to. And um, and were it not for our afflictions, I just don't think we'd lean as hard on him daily as we should. I remember um, we, we think of Peter's confession uh, when he acknowledges uh, that Jesus is the Christ. Um, and there was a segment in um, in John where the, a lot of the disciples are, are peeling off. And Christ turns to the 12 and says, you do not want to go away also, do you? And Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. When I get to the bottom of that barrel and, and I don't want to get out of bed and don't want to walk down that hall and don't want to go through a hundredth of the steps that you have to go through, I, I remind myself, you know, there's no place else to go. I, I've got to go to him. I've got to go to Christ because I am, I, I'm not incapable. I'm impotent. I'm immobile. There's not anything I can do apart from him. But we think we can. But we think we can, and and that is the lie that um, not only our culture, but our adversary would love for us to believe um, that that we can do this on our own. We simply can't. Uh, One of the verses that I often think of um, when things become a little overwhelming is, uh, is Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If anyone would come after me, the Lord Jesus says, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, I used to think my cross was my wheelchair. Oh my goodness, this is my burden to bear. Mm. I've got to got to carry this quadriplegia. But but my cross is not my disability. I think my cross is my attitude about the wheelchair. It's my attitude about the disability. And mm. that's what I have to put to death. To take up your cross means you put put to death something in your life that that needs to be done away with. And my attitude at times stinks. It is so rotten. Uh, But curiously enough, you know, you mentioned at the top of our program how I inspire you. Oh, my goodness, Michael. I know so many people with disabilities around the world, especially in developing nations, people that I'm friends with. And I see how they handle their disability in the midst of crushing, bruising poverty and pain with no medical clinics, no doctors who are prescribing medications, no no help, no social supports. God has made the poor of this world to be rich in faith, and they inspire me. In fact, I have a photograph on the wall next to my desk. It's a man in Africa who's a paraplegic. Um, he was unable to come to our wheelchair distribution. He was just in too much pain. He was able to um, take some alcohol to deaden his pain. There was no other medication available. But for the most part, uh, 
he lives an extremely humble life, uh, doing what he can to eke out a living in this uh, desperate plight uh, that he lives in. Thankfully, the villagers have taken great pity on him because he is a a remarkable man of, of good character. And I keep his photo on the wall because when I wheel into my office and I'm grouchy or I'm peevish Mm. or I have a sullen spirit or my heart is dry or my soul feels calloused and cracked and I don't feel like going on, I want to throw in the towel before the day has hardly begun. I glance up and there's that man. I don't even know his name, but he inspires me. He represents to me the one billion people with disabilities who live, um, and 80% of them live in developing nations like he does. Oh, my goodness. I want to do all I can to put to death that rotten attitude I have, Mm -hmm. to mortify it, to take up my cross and crucify my peevish spirit and persevere, not only for the sake of Christ, but for the sake of brethren like him. Um, We are called to not only honor God, but to also honor those around us. We owe them a good testimony. Mm -hmm. I owe my Christian sisters and brothers a good testimony because I'm intimately and intricately linked to them. And my victories can become theirs. I certainly don't want to um, spread cowardice or fear or timidity or bad attitudes by my rotten perspective on the day. No, I, I want to have a good attitude because I, mm. I owe my friends around me that. I mm-hmm. owe them that at least. Philip Brooks wrote a devotional called The Candle of the Lord in the 1800s. And this is a quote that I go back to again and again. I'll get your reaction to it. You, you may be familiar with it. The reason we are led into trouble and out again is not merely that we, that we may value happiness more from having lost it once and found it again, but that we may know something which we could not have known except by that teaching, that we may bear upon our nature some impress which could not have been stamped on natures except softened to receive it. Well, I hope everybody that is listening wrote down that quote, because I know what, Michael, I want you to send it to me <laughs> or post it on your website or something. But, but I mean, uh, I love the I language. Love the language that, you know, we, and how often do we, you know, and people have asked you this, they've asked me, well, God's taught you things and you, you want to, as my friend Dave Gibson says, some people, you want to give a spiritual dope slap, you know, <laughs> they ask you <laughs> these questions, you'll snap out of it. Come on. Um, but I love the language of that we may bear upon our nature some impress, which could not have been stamped except on natures just so softened to receive it. You, you and I know God, not better, uh, but differently than apart from a wheelchair, than apart from chronic back pain? Absolutely. You know, I think another way to paraphrase that Phillips Brooks quote, um, well, we'll take, for, take for instance, James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Okay, we know that in our heads, but God wants us to feel it in our bones, He wants it to feel it in our bones. And how do we persevere under trial except in the midst of an overwhelming trial? We utterly cast ourselves on the mercy of Christ. Mm. And then we, as you say, 
know him not necessarily better, but we know him deeper or differently. Mm-hmm. We know him perhaps more intimately because we have we have stepped inside the inner sanctum of sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. And, and I know that many people um, look at that uh, portion of Scripture from Philippians and say that it's just about persecution. But I think to participate in the fellowship of sharing in Christ's sufferings is to have a good attitude when you're nailed to a cross. Mm. That, that, that is doing something for the sake of Christ. That is bonding with him. Um, in an intimate and personal way when you're... But, but, but we're not doing that in the flesh, right? We're not mustering up that attitude, right? That's right. Absolutely. So, um, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. Mm. We're, we're perplexed, and truly we are perplexed, but we're not in despair. Man, we are close to despair. Sometimes it feels like I am so close to despair, We are persecuted, we're not abandoned, we are knocked down, but we are not knocked out. Mm -hmm. For every day, um, we carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be revealed in these bodies of ours. That's from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And Mm. oh, that's such a mainstay, that's such an anchor, that's such a pillar. Uh, when it comes to moving forward into my walk with Christ. And I'm sure for you too, Mike, mm-hmm. but I, and I hope for our listeners who are struggling. I, I trust that our listeners, your friends, my friends, are are being bolstered in their spirits by these wonderful um, hook lines and sinkers that mm-hmm. we are sharing from the mm-hmm. Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, it is interesting that we're surprised. You mentioned earlier about why are we surprised when suffering occurs and we live in a fallen nature and fallen bodies and a fallen context and and we're waiting for that that new kingdom, new earth, new new bodies, uh, new reality. But uh, you know, we reach as you said, we reach for the ibuprofen. I call it the spiritual ibuprofen. You know, where's the solution? Is let Lord Lord teach me the lesson so I can get well. That's really what we're asking. Um, we're not asking teach me so that I can continue to live with the suffering. And um, absolutely, yeah. You know, over absolutely. the years, when it wears on you, it, you know, um, you and I have seen people that that handled this very well and some handle it very poorly and it breaks our hearts when we see them handling it poorly. Let's, let's envision you and I probably have some real people in mind, but let's say you're talking to someone who is uh, very short for this earth. They're in chronic miserable pain. Perhaps cancer is taking its final toll. Perhaps they've been a quadriplegic for many years, perhaps HIV AIDS, whatever, but their days are very short. What would you say to him? Well, first, if that person who is in pain, albeit facing a, a short life expectancy, I would remind them that their citizenship is in heaven anyway. For we all eagerly, I love that adverb, we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies Perhaps there are friends listening to us whose bodies are racked with pain or disease or terminal illness. Well, God is going to transform that lowly body so that it will be like his glorious body. That is a hopeful thing to look forward to. That, that is hopeful. That is, that is so encouraging to know that your suffering will not be wasted as you persevere and trust in Christ. There's a Wonderful Bible verse in Isaiah chapter 50 that says, 
Let he who walks in darkness, who has not one ray of light, trust in the name of the Lord. Mm. Even if you're in the midst of spiritual, emotional, and physical darkness, trust in the name of the Lord, for your citizenship is in heaven, and he is going to transform your lowly body to be like his. And continue to trust him because you are indeed enlarging your eternal estate. Um, Jesus is going to embrace you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, you have persevered and now enter into the joy of your master. But if there are some listening who do not know Jesus Christ, um, for whom their sufferings are a waste, Mm -hmm. my encouragement to them would be not to let it be that way. Do not waste your sufferings. And do not waste your life of sin. Bundle it up. Put it at the foot of the cross. Confess it before your God. And invite him to sit on the throne of your heart and allow him to send his Holy Spirit to empower you to live the kind of life with what few remaining days you have, to live the kind of life that will not only please and honor him, but accrue for you a citizenship in heaven and a rich welcome and a reward um, awaiting you in heaven. Um, Let this suffering be not that which drives you away from God. But let suffering be that which drives you to him. We've been talking with Johnny Erickson Tata. You want to find out more, you need to go to Johnny and Friends. That's J-O-N-I-A-N-D, Friends. Johnnyandfriends.org. And you can find a robust website with Wheels for the World, Family Retreats, her television programs, her five-minute daily radio programs, resources, on and on. It's a very robust site. Find out about what Johnny is doing in the ministry that... uh, she has uh, birthed and uh, and pray for her. Pray for Ken, our great friend who is, is there with her all the time. And um, we'll have to get Ken on next time and chat with oh, him. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Michael, he loves you. He, he prays for you daily as well, as do uh, I. He's a prince. I'm holding Johnny and Ken's book, The Untold Love Story. Ken and Johnny put this book out with Larry Libby. It's a delightful read. Give you some insights on what their marriage has been like. And uh, for uh, what, you're coming up on 33 years? Yep, we are. Yep. And so uh, and it's a it's what a, a great guy I'm married to. And he married a precious woman. So listen, we love you. I thank you so much for giving us this time. And uh, Cindy and I continue to pray for you and Ken and the fabulous ministry you have. Keep pressing on. You're my hero. Absolutely. And, you know, to our friends who are who have hung in there with us during our time together on the radio, I I would just I would pray Ephesians chapter one. Um, I pray that the listeners, their hearts Eyes, hearts have been enlightened, um, that they might know the hope to which God has called Mm -hmm. them, the riches of his glorious inheritance. And I hope our listening friends have gained an insight into the incomparably great power, which is theirs, if they would but believe in the midst of their hardships. Amen. Good word, young lady. Thank you, my friend. Good (laughs) word. Good words from you too, Michael. Love you. Love you too. I feel like I never have enough time with Johnny. Every time I get to visit with her in person or on the phone or in studio now, it's just a delight and I'm overwhelmed. And I often tell Johnny, whenever I talk to you, I take my shoes off. <laughs> for, for me, this broadcast, don't waste your suffering. I don't know about you. I don't know what's going on in your heart and head, but I can tell you Michael easily wastes a lot of his suffering. And it's a challenge to to deal with pain. It's a challenge to deal with the disappointments of life. It's hard for all of us. And here's a woman who loves Christ 
47 years in a wheelchair, cancer, chronic pain, all kinds of challenges. And um, to hear her heart for Christ, her unvarnished authenticity. And she truly loves God. And she truly loves people who suffer. And your God, Jesus Christ, truly loves you. I hope you won't waste your suffering. And I hope you'll meditate on what Johnny shared, as well as some of the passages we've referred to. And by the way, may you remember, when you're alone, you're not alone. This is Michael Easley in Context. If you have questions or comments, please let us know at michaelincontext.com. Thank you for listening to Michael Easley in Context.